A really brilliant interview that we've got to kick off the series of full-length chats coming up in the feed. Today, Caroline Casey of The Valuable 500 talks to Stephen Scott about her life, her fear of tech, and her mission to change the world. Caroline Casey, good to have you here. Hello. Uh, Hello, Stephen. It is lovely to have you here. Um, (laughs) First of all, for our audience, uh, who are you and why are you here today? What's your story, Oh my gosh, that's a big existential question at 48 years old. Um, Well, my name is Caroline Casey. I'm Irish. Um, I am the founder of The Valuable 500, which is a global campaign to get 500 of the world's most important leaders and brands put disability on the leadership agenda and create a tipping point. Um, I myself am registered blind and visually impaired. Um, I uh, have been in the space of disability business inclusion for about 20 years uh, and I feel like I have the roar of a revolutionary now. Um, I think age is a great thing actually I have to say. Mm. Wisdom. Well, I'm not sure wisdom, but I definitely would say, so my story is such an unusual story. It's, um, you know, I, I often quote Maya Angelou that there's no greater agony than an untold story inside you. And um, I discovered at 17 that I, I had a rare condition called ocular albinism, which means like, obviously you and I can't see each other, but I definitely can't see you from here, mm-hmm. though I look very visually able. Um, and when I've discovered that, I just could not connect with it. I just, you know, this is back in 1989, and I had seen how the world had treated disability, and I just, I couldn't identify it, and I didn't want it, and I hid it, uh, and I hid it for 11 years um, until I came out of the closet, which was 20 years ago now, um, uh, when I was working for Accenture as a management consultant, and I often laughingly say, what does that say about management consultants? They didn't know they had a visually impaired job. Um, blind person in their business. But what's very unusual about the story is that um, it was no accident um, that I didn't know about my sight loss until I was 17 because my parents made a conscious decision uh, when I was very, very young um, that they didn't want me to be, they didn't want my life to be defined by a label or a medical condition. Um, And they knew the world wasn't designed for difference. So they decided to do a human experiment and send me to a normal school and um, see how I did. And I did okay, you know, I, I, survi- I mean, I, I survived it. And so that's, it just self-perpetuated and, and that's how I found it at 17. It's interesting you use the phrase, you came out of the closet. Yeah. yeah. I've used that myself a yeah. few times, you know, and it's an interesting yeah. comparison to make, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're admitting to people. Um, is it perhaps different for us in the sense that if you're coming out of the closet, say, as someone who's gay, yeah. you might not need to do that every day of your life yeah. with people. Yeah. Whereas if you're visually impaired, you kind of do, don't you? You have to tell the world every day because the next person you meet doesn't know and the next person you meet doesn't yeah. know. And that's, I mean, we were, it's one of the hardest things. Um, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but because I don't look like I have a vision impairment, at all, and I don't behave like that at all unless you see me walking into glass doors or falling down steps or coming out of the gents' toilets and all the usual things that happen when somebody who's visually impaired. You know, and that happens all the time because, you know, I have just about two feet vision and everything beyond that's very blurry. And um, I walk around in really high heels and the first thing I'm often asked is, well, you're visually impaired and you wear high heels? And I'm like, uh, yeah, like, why would I not wear high heels? 
So this coming out process that you talk about, it nearly has to happen every day and sometimes five or six times a day. And so it's very hard because you, I'm Caroline, right? You're Stephen. I don't know if I've got, I'm Caroline, the visually impaired girl. So, so in a way, I, when I finally owned my cane, right? When I, when I got my cane, it took away a lot of the questions. And, uh, and I know that sounds really strange, but it's sometimes when I was in the hiding phase of, I used to really wish that it, my eyesight was worst. Does that make sense? Because then people would know and I wouldn't have to explain and I wouldn't have to justify or be so frightened that I was looking like I was trying to get attention from you. Um, and for me, my biggest issue around my acceptance of my sight is um, lack of confidence and lack my, I'm such an independent spirit. Like, I am a rebel. Like, there's no, I mean, I am a rebel, a rebel woman. So th this independence piece was really hard. Uh, asking for help was really hard. So this disclosing, hi, can you help me go to the bathroom? I mean, honestly, that but was I think that's what, that's what perhaps is most interesting. Because yeah. there are a lot of people, as you know, as I yeah. know, yeah. people who will never leave the house yeah. after diagnosis, yeah. after they lose their sight. For many people, it's later in life, but there are many of us who have grown up with sight loss in one form or another, or vision impairment, because we didn't really lose anything, did we? No. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, with that in mind, I think it's interesting that, that we have that process. But I think there is also, from what you're saying, a really interesting conversation to be had around blindness and partial sight. Yes. There's a key difference, isn't there? There really is, and I think... Um, even when we talk about disability and, and I talk about the valuable 500 and we are really looking at the 1.3 billion people in the world who have a lived experience of disability, there are so many different, that word means so many things, right, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But even within sight, like your experience of sight loss and my experience of vision impairment are so entirely different. And then somebody who has absolutely no vision, I have no idea what their experience in life is. And if they acquired it and if they were born with it, you know. And so it's, um, I'm a, I really am against these um, definings and definitions and siloing that exists, even within the disability community, let alone outside it when we're, when we talk about inclusion and when we're pitting race and gender against disability. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't bear it. I think we are all equally unique and different. But uh, I think the, chat, the, the problem we have is that our voices, despite our voices being perhaps heard more, yeah, definitely. we're still very low in the, in the conversation, in the national conversation. For sure we are. Certainly below gender, certainly below uh, race. You know, we're way be below that. We are that. totally below that. And, and that's why, um, you know, it was one of the main reasons that, I mean, I've been in this work for 20 years, but I really wanted to, to launch the Valuable 500. And it was actually after the death of my father, um, very unexpectedly, that I found that courage to do it because, you know, dad was always be yourself because every, everyone else is taken, which is hilarious because he lied to me. But it's more about that part where I just did not see in the 20 years that I had come out of the closet, I had not seen accelerated change. And I was like, this is insane. Like, how are we, you know, if you consider 1.3 billion people in the world who have a disability, and maybe there's a mum and dad or two people that love them, that's 53% of our consumers. And how come we'll be consistently left on the sidelines 
of the societal conversation? Well, I think it's because we've been on the sidelines of business. And I think one of the reasons we've been on the sidelines of business is because there's a lack of understanding of our value. And I'm not talking about charity. I'm talking about our value to business, to, to talent and to brand and to innovation and to growth and an eight trillion market. But the other reason is we haven't had leaders. We haven't had like leaders like, you know, before Paul Pullman, who, who's the, you know, the chair of the Valuable 500, we haven't had leaders who stood up and said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And that's why the sidelines, you know, we've been there and no more. It's not OK in 2019, actually. Do you think those leaders need to be disabled themselves? No, no. You know, I, I'm probably, this is going to be controversial. I honestly believe if you want to design solutions for people with disabilities and lived experience, they have to be part of designing that solution. That is 100%. But again, I have a lived experience of disability, which is not the same as somebody who may have a mobility issue or who has a learning disability. So we have to be very careful in that. But however, I have I have a husband, I have a sister, I have a brother, I have a mom and a dad, I, I have family and friends. They have a lived experience of living with me and my disability. So when we talk about leaders, so I'm going to give you this horrendous uh, statistic. 56% of our leadership boards have never discussed disability. 7% of our leaders have a lived experience of disability, yet four out of five of them are hiding it, like I did. Mm -hmm. So I would so love even, So even when you get to the top... Yeah, right? So To get to the top, you may need to hide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my point of it is like, okay, well, do they need to have a lived experience? No, they don't. Because they're the leaders of a corporation or an organisation which needs to reflect the society to which it operates in. And that is all society, the full breadth of society. I, I, what I would love to see happen is them to feel comfortable enough to, you know, uh, come out of their closet. But they don't have to. What they need to do is create cultures where we can all turn up as ourselves. Caroline, I'm also intrigued to talk about your love of technology or lack of love <laughs> of technology. Um, so this is a technology show. Uh, I want to talk about tech a little bit. Um, so tell me your relationship with I'm technology. I'm terrified of technology. I'm a Luddite. I have a sister. How who, can you be terrified well, of technology? I am, okay? So, like, you know, we can't judge what other people are frightened of. Um, my sister, who's also visually impaired like I am, she's complete opposite. And she's this brilliant mm. engineering brain and she's a magnificent, you know. Um, I don't know. I think number one is I have been able to get away with everything for so long with my stubbornness and, you know, this ridiculous behavior that I've had um, that I have not embraced technology mm. like I should have. Like it would have made my life so much easier for me as it would have made the life of my family and my friends around me. And there's just been this absolute, I don't know what it is. I'm just so scared. And I'm going to give you an example is I'm running a campaign to make sure that we can all have a conversation, right? So if I would do little video clips, you know, like for social media, which I'm also rubbish at, that is the other thing you need to know. I'm rubbish on social media. How can media. you be rubbish at no, social media? No, because I have no interest. I, my, my energy goes into the connection between you and I. I yeah, don't, human interaction. Yeah, I yeah, want yeah. human interaction. I have really no... I, I just don't want to... It's not where I put my energy. Yeah. But anyway, so I was doing these videos, and Hector Mento, who is... I, you know, and Neil Millican, two gentlemen I, I really admire and who are great evangelists on uh, accessibility and technology. They were like, Caroline, you can't keep having this conversation and then having captioning. And I, I was just like, I can't, too scared. So Hector was like, get over yourself. Here's Clipomatic, right? And I remember one day just going, this is awful because I was at a conference that somebody wasn't speaking English. And I went, oh my gosh. I am actively not including by not using 
Pebblematic or something like it. Mm. So I did, and I realised it was really easy. And I loved it. And then I went, I told everybody, if I can do it, you can all do it. And then it started to make me think about technology and myself. Um, and I was like, I'm traveling around the world on my own right now. If I didn't have like the apps for taxis, if I didn't have the, you know, um, Google Maps and things like that, I simply wouldn't be able to do it. But the other part of it is we wouldn't be able to scale our message because so much of what we're doing is marketing. And all these marketing communication tools have helped us amplify it. So actually, through the Valuable 500 and my fear, I'm starting to realize, oh, it's okay. But what I did realize is the fear that I've had over technology stopped me moving forward. It's the same fear that exists in CEOs and business. And so if I want to get them to come to my side, well, I better start Uh facing my fear. And it just shows you how much fear stops things. That's interesting. Uh, but I think it also shows that you need a way in to I technology, do. don't you? There's, I need someone you to need be patient a, with me. But you need a front door to yeah, it. I do. Because once you've learned will how you to help do... Me? I, I, I can try. <laughs> I can, and I will, that's, that's my job here, I guess, is to tell people about all of the <laughs> wonderful ways that technology can help. Yeah. But you need that connection. You yeah. need that connection with something. And I don't want to feel like a fool either. I think, you know, speaking at this conference here today, you know, one of my biggest fears was going to look like the stupid person, you know? And... Yeah, I just, I think there's that fear looking like an idiot or fear of getting it wrong. So you're right, I need a front door. And you know what? I know that my life could be infinitely easier tell if us, I get over myself. <laughs> tell us about the Valuable 500. Well, the Valuable 500 is, um, it's trying to, I, I guess it's like a, a circuit breaker, if you know what I mean. It is trying to get 500 of the world's most um, influential brands and CEOs to put disability on their leadership agenda. Um, and extend the conversation of inclusion to equally include disability. And it's to do it in a year, okay? Um, and it's amazing. I mean, when you think about this, but could you imagine what 500 Paul Pullmans or Sheryl Sandbergs, you know, putting this on the leadership agenda? Because when it's on a board, what gets, you know, measured gets done. And what it would do is support or give permission to operationalize inclusion and accessibility throughout our businesses because it exists, like it already exists, but we need to get the resources released and stop it going into these silos and it shouldn't be in DNI. And so Valuable 500 is saying, no, you as a leader are accountable. This is a culture issue. This is a leadership issue. This is a sustainability issue. This is a growth issue. This is not about DNI. And you can hear that revolution. That's what it's about. And, and because we're kind of, I th- I, I'm CIBC uh, has joined us. Um, we're at 170 companies as of today. Um, I really want to go back to Davos, which is close to the target of Valuable 500. We launched it in the World Economic Forum this year. I go back in January. But you know what? We've already reached a tipping point. And I called it the Valuable 500, like Fortune 500. But either way, we are going to get 500, whether it's before Davos or after Davos. And that is a critical mass at the tipping point, which we can never go back from. What does success look like? Oh, my gosh. You know, somebody asked me what success looked like to me ages ago. And um, I was like, well, what does it look like to you? Now, I cannot call who this person is because it's a, it's a very strange comment. We would all know them. And they said, well, actually, I think success would be that we would eradicate disability. And I was like, what? Uh, mm. So that it, what I think 
is success looks like to me that disability is part of normal, it's a normal part of humanity, it is a normal part of business, that we are not having valuable 500s, we're not having Caroline Casey speaking, we are, we are talking about inclusion, we're talking about accessibility for all, we're talking about design for all, we are not talking about disability and that it is part of everything that we do in the same way, I don't know, that we breathe air. Wouldn't that be amazing? And that I am not around. That is what success looks like for me anyway. Caroline, it's been great having you on the show today. I think a lot of people will uh, be inspired by hearing your story because I think the acknowledgement of the challenges, uh, especially by someone who has risen to such success, I think will we'll play very well with people, will we'll really resonate with people who are sitting at home listening, thinking or watching, thinking, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is something I could ever achieve or could I ever achieve much. I think people will, will, will take from what you've well, said that they can. Well, all I'd say is, to end on my father, is be yourself and everyone else is taken. Every one of us has a unique and separate journey. Mm. And my question is, you only get one go at this. You actually, if you go inside yourself and hear what it is that you uniquely want to do, oh, just try. Just try.